0: All right, guys, welcome back to another, yet again, fun-filled episode of the Big Texas Outdoors podcast. Uh, first and foremost, uh, follow us on our socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Give us a like, give us a follow. Uh, if y'all have any questions, y'all can <clears throat> hit us up in the DMs and uh, we'll do anything we can to help y'all out. All out Uh as far as our podcast platforms, we have Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, and just recently we're on Amazon Music, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us a rate, give us a review, and we also have a YouTube You're going to want to hit subscribe on there and go ahead and hit that little bell to get those notifications. When we post new videos, uh, we're working on some little how-to content on, uh, various different gears. We've done a, uh, Duracoat, you know, on an old 870. We did a how-to on mounting and bore siding a scope. And so... Check us out on all that. Uh, next up, we have Dirty Duck Coffee Company. N- this is uh, this is some good coffee that I've tried. I-, I love it. I am ordering some more so I can start my morning off with it yet again. Uh, Dirty Duck Coffee, made for hunters, by hunters. Uh, go check them out. <clears throat> They've got... Coffee, apparel, hats, shirts, cups, mugs you name it go peruse the website and fill the cart. And when once you fill the cart and go to checkout, uh, type in the promo code Texas Outdoors one word capital T that'll get you 15% off your order. And now, today's guest without further ado. The stash returns. <laughs> the stash is gone.
1: <laughs> Rest in peace.
0: <laughs> oh man, the legend of din- Ginger Stash.
1: Yep, Keen Wilson here. Good to uh, be back. Last time I think we had a little bit of audio issues. I think uh, I was a little bit far away from the mic, and uh, so they uh, they figured they'd bring me back here and let me. Uh, get oh yeah, back we've uh, shot. we've
0: we've upgraded the uh, we've upgraded the setup yeah. since then. So good to be here. Absolutely, man. Thanks for uh being on the show. You know it, man. You know it. How's uh how's life treating you? Busy. Yeah. You know chasing just, little ones around. Yeah. Yeah. Doing that. Uh trying to do some fun stuff here and yeah. there. Uh I'm uh I s I, I still haven't gotten all your handloads done.
1: Yeah. Well, I still appreciate it. It's a thought yeah, that counts, uh, you
0: know. I, I'll I'll find some time, I'll get get them done. Uh I need to do some for mine for my 280. Yeah. And and then it's just go to the range.
1: Well, if it makes you feel any better, I've got a brand new gun sitting right here next to us and I haven't even put the scope on it. So, uh,
0: Well, I have a bag sitting on top of that with tools in it. Yeah, see. To put that scope on. So <laughs> You are the man. Absolutely, man. I do what I can. I do what I can. Yep, 100%. But yeah, uh How about you, man? How's life treating you?
1: Man, life has been pretty good been really busy um working a lot guiding on the weekends um duck season has been pretty good to us um we had you know we go from um the coldest i've ever hunted in in texas to like killing 18 birds setting it on top of ice and it's sitting (laughs) on top of the ice to like the following weekend getting mauled by mosquitoes oh yeah i don't know um you know
0: yeah that within that week's time that was a pretty big temperature swing
1: yeah you know we've we've managed to hold birds i don't know you know i've got buddies um i've got older friends that swear that some of this these really really big northerns push some of our birds out and we don't do as good on the hard north i mean statistically um where i hunt you know down in god's country Winnie, Texas, in that area, <laughs> that is right. We, we seem to do better on uh, like a fifty degree day with a little bit of south wind, you know. And and uh, it has produced. It is a. Uh, it stayed pretty consistent all year. So sometimes I feel like we're chasing the same few thousand birds around the same acreage, you know. But we right. manage to uh, put clients on birds and stay on them when we can. So, right on. Yeah, that was a. Uh...
0: Yeah, that was a pretty hard freeze that we had. It
1: was pretty wild. I hunted in it. I didn't hunt like the day it blew in. I think it blew in on like a Thursday. But yes,
0: because uh, I, uh, I I got called out that right. night.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: So I was out in it all night. Wait, so uh, and it
1: bl- it trickled through Christmas morning, and I brought my my stepdad and my little brother. He was down uh, from from the army or whatever. Oh yeah, he was that's down right. He, his,
0: he was he was yeah. on leave.
1: Yep. So he got to make a hunt, and he. He likes it. I've I've drugged him around with me his whole life. He likes it. He's not eat up with it like I am. But right. you know that was not the hunt. That that was if he was going to make one duck hunt a year, it was it was a pretty miserable duck hunt to make. Oh you man! Know? But he he was a trooper. I mean, obviously he's been you know sleeping in the woods and doing all the training and army stuff. So I think it was kind of a cakewalk to him. It wasn't that big of a deal. Right. Right. It was a uh, it was enjoyable, but it would have been nice to have had a little bit more warmer weather
0: but yeah so uh yeah man that 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 night that i worked it was i think whenever i was heading home like the wind chill was like negative four yeah man i froze my ass off out there (laughs) i bet you did man luckily where i was at where they had their compressor uh it was blocking there was a building there kind of blocking the north wind i'd still get a draft in there but Whenever I stepped out to grab something out of my truck, is when it really hit me, and yeah, it was uh, it was pretty miserable.
1: Yeah, and and for us, I mean, my biggest fear going into the marsh is alligators for my dog and snakes, you know, and mainly snakes for me. But
0: no worries <laughs> yeah. on those days. Yeah,
1: I will. Uh, not I don't mess with the water moccasin or nope. anything like that. But, nope. you know, to go from worrying about the marsh critters to Worrying about dogs breaking ice and, you know, cutting up his shins, beating up his shins. Right. In a, like a week's time. It's just not something that we're...
0: And then the next week it was 70.
1: I know. <laughs> and it's 70 right now. Right. I think we're getting a little cold snap this weekend. So. I,
0: I I think you're right. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a little warm Yep, here as of late. Yeah. The mosquitoes are thriving. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I hate mosquitoes. I, I mean, that's why... I, oh man that's what I, yeah. I hate teal season mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's like a... oh it's so fun like they're just they're so dumb they just fly in and yep. you just shoot them up you get your six and you go but i'm like yeah but you got to sit there for like 30 minutes until it gets enough light to shoot yeah and you're getting ate up by mosquitoes the whole time yeah it's I, it just the, the mosquitoes do it for me for sure like i just i cannot stand them
1: yeah I've got a pretty high tolerance for them but I still do not enjoy them. I mean, no. I've, I bought some spray for my dog cuz I can't stand them to watch him especially on his belly, you know, around his junk get mauled right. by mosquitoes, you know. Then we get done with the hunt and he really he's a yellow lab. He really shows in that area when he gets beat, bit by a bunch of mosquitoes and my wife is you know like why are you torturing our dog, you know? Like look, you got to remember he's not a house dog. He might yeah, he, live in the house. Yeah, he's he's a hunting dog. He's, sleep at the foot of the bed, and when I'm not looking, get a few snacks from mom, but he's a hunting dog, <laughs> you know, so he's got to tough it out there with me. I but,
0: got you, I got you. So, the life of a guide. Yeah. But, uh, what, are, what are some do's and don'ts from the customer's point of view? From the customer's point
1: of view? Okay, so. Like,
0: if you're bringing somebody, what is something you do? What is something you don't do?
1: Okay. I would say, first and foremost, obviously, everybody's primary concern is safety. You know, I mean, you want to. My first thing that I do, if it's not a repeat client, somebody that hasn't hunted with me before, I'm trying to figure out who the weak links are, per se, or who I really have to keep an eye
0: on. Right, so so more, uh, more or less, uh, who's who has the least amount of experience.
1: That's right. That's right. And you know, you I know, might and- hurt
0: some feelings by
1: saying this, but nine times out of 10 it's the guy that steps out with a $15,000 over and under and you know, a really really nice shotgun.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So,
1: I don't know, man, but um I would say like safety is first first
0: thing that I'm looking for. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, like like, Hey, like, look, and it's, it can be hard. I, I don't know how big your groups are. Typically
1: I like, we keep them under four or five. We like to run smaller groups. Okay.
0: So that's, that's not as bad when you get like six or eight or 10. I don't
1: want to guide 10 people.
0: That, that can get real tricky. For sure. I mean, cause there's, there's just so many people and like, Hey, like you have to stay in your lane. Like you sure. have from here to here. And that's where you shoot, like, cause from here to here, this guy's shooting. If you go over him, like that's, that's not cool.
1: Yeah. Well, it's easy to get lost in the excitement of everything too, you right. know, and everybody's having a good time and you hear these horror stories. It just takes one mistake, you know, and I, I've had people get carried away and ne- never really jeopardize my safety, but you know, it's just always definitely a primary concern. Um, so I would say that, and basically from a customer standpoint, as long as you're safe and you show up with a license and shells, that's all you have to do. Um, in the groups that we run, the place that I got for, I mean, it's, it's, you know, we, we like to cater to everybody. We like to make sure everybody has a good time. Um, this late in the season, it's, is, it is very beneficial if a client will show up with waiters. And I know that sounds stupid, but you have a lot of guys that show up with rubber boots because they think we're going to a blind and this late in the season, a lot of these birds are avoiding blinds, you know? Right.
0: So you're, you're going somewhere where you actually need chest chestwares.
1: Yeah. I mean, if, if we could tuck into a, a little bit of bull brush and hide from them um, where they actually want to be, it's a game changer. You know, it'll turn a mediocre hunt to a phenomenal hunt Absolutely, really, really absolutely. quick. And so I would say that is, um, those are some of the top, you know, things from a customer standpoint. I mean, just speaking in general, if you were to go out and do it yourself, um, you know public land or
0: yeah, but public land around here is going to be marsh, so for sure. you would need yeah chest no, waiters anyway,
1: 100%. But I mean, if you were going to do you know, if you've never done it ever and you didn't have a buddy that could just take you, I would say the one of the top things like I think you could get away with almost anything, but if I would like, the, my first suggestion is figure out where the sun's coming up. It comes up from the same direction every single morning, which is the East. Right. And do not set up facing the sun, you know, (laughs) unless, I mean, you can get away with it if you've got a really, really cloudy day, but for, for two reasons, one, when the sun breaks and you're on that opposite side, it is going to shine on you like a Q beam, you know, and it just illuminates you, you know, when you're trying to hide, but, I mean, really, most importantly, in my book, I do not want to stare at the sun, you know, and it makes an absolute right, right, because all all
0: you see is just like silhouettes, if that I mean, it really depends on where the sun's at, well, you know, in the time of the day, and here I am a ginger. With green
1: eyes, and I don't know, you call me sensitive or whatever, but, man, you give me a – like, it doesn't matter, sunglasses or not, I do not want to face the sun.
0: Oh, yeah, I neither. Mean, my, my eyes are real sensitive, too. Yeah. Like, I, I've got to have, you yeah. know, sunglasses on.
1: Yeah, if I'm even halfway looking at the sun, I'm getting a headache. <laughs> you know, for a, for a right. decent amount of time, I'm getting a headache, 100%. Right. And um, second thing, I, I, maybe maybe I'm weird, but toilet paper – <laughs> like I don't know I get I get up every morning at 5 30 6 o'clock to go to work but if my body knows that I'm going duck hunting something changes right you know I mean if, I, if that, that 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 morning coffee hits dude, I don't know man it's weird you know I drink coffee every morning I have a routine but when I wake up a little bit earlier and I'm going duck hunting the whole game changes and I mean there's been more times than I want to mention that I've had to you know, pull over on the side of the road or (laughs) praying to God that I make it to where I'm going. (laughs) And luckily where I'm going, there's a nice lodge with some nice restrooms. But there's been times where I'm praying that I make it that far. But, um, you know, kind of going back to the sun, like I know everybody says, you know, you have to have the wind at your back. Ducks want to decoy, you know, with the wind in their face, which is true. I mean, they want to finish with the wind, you know, in their face, laying into the wind. But you can make anything work. Right. The one thing I can't make work is staring into the sun. You know. I mean, you could shoot ducks coming over you, right? Laying but, away I mean, from you, but
0: yeah. So the sun's east and west. If you have a, uh, if you have a front coming in, I mean, the winds can be going to be coming from the north. Yeah. So then that puts the the sun to the side of you for sure. So. Yeah, I mean, I I could I could see that, but...
1: Well, and I've gone as far, I mean, even like this past I mean, but week, even
0: there's, there's days where there's no wind.
1: There's no wind or like sometimes you're like, there's no options. You're hunting what little bit of cover you can find. Right. And the first thing I'm looking at is where is that sun coming up? I mean, obviously, if it's a morning hunt, it's coming up in the east. I am not facing the sun. Anything else, if I have to face, you know, the opposite direction, if I have to face west... Um, or north or south or whatever, depending on whatever the wind is, I will hunt you know with a, a complete wrong wind and push my decoys way, way up you know hypothetically say the wind is coming into my face you know this this uh, I think one maybe Saturday or Sunday of this this past weekend we hunted with the wind screaming at our face because I, I, i'm not I'm not looking at the sun wind screaming at our face, but we pushed our decoys way 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 up wind. Right. And so those birds are going to pitch right over you into the wind. They're finishing into the wind, but you're shooting them in the butt or behind, you know, oh, in the back. right,
0: right, right. Yeah. Cause they're coming, they're That's coming right. over you.
1: That's exactly right. They're coming over us and decoying into the wind, but we're killing them at 30 or 40 yards facing, they're facing the opposite direction. It works out, you know, but you can't shoot what you can't see. So, uh, I would say, sun, first thing I'm looking for.
0: Um, You know now on on the waiters on the chess waiters
1: sore subject (laughs) because I think I'm I think so where I got at I think we have approximately ten guides just shooting from the hip without looking at a group text or whatever I think I'm one of two guides that does not own the Sitka waiters and I'm not opposed to them and I'm becoming more of a believer in the Sitka waiters but. They're expensive.
0: They are expensive. And I'm
1: very hard on stuff, man.
0: Right. And even if you are pro staff, that is one thing that is not. There's no discount. There's no discount. They no are a thousand dollars. That's right. Whether you are pro staff or Sitka or you're not. That's right. I have been
1: told that there's a place in Houston called Gordian Sons. Gordian Sons. Yep. Yes. Haven't been. I'm terrified to go because
0: I don't bro, know what to bro, do to my oh bank account. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. So uh i I went with my brother Mm -hmm. some of his friends because his buddy was like hey they got sick of waiters there you know and i heard uh you know they're they're trying to to clear out for the season we went there it's 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 near downtown Mm -hmm. so we get there we go in you take an elevator up Look, if they've got an elevator and a sporting goods store, I don't <laughs> so, need to be there. I don't know what's on the first <laughs> floor, but they're on the second floor. And you go up there and you look around and I'm like, oh my God. So the guy that rolls up with a $15,000 over and under, mm-hmm. he probably got it there. Oh, I'm sure. So, I mean, like they have just racks of guns racks of guns and they have display cases full of ammo i mean anything and they have a lot of big bore ammo they have a lot of big bore guns like they have like the holland and holland double rifles so it's not stuff.
1: just a waterfowl store they have absolutely
0: more... not okay. like they have they carry sims they carry sitka okay uh anthony vaughn's bird strap like he, okay. he's got some of his stuff in there nice and uh I think the cheapest thing I found in there was an alligator uh, hide sling. Nice, and it was two hundred bucks. Okay, so, right. so yeah, so I like going in there. It's it's nuts. I mean, they've got uh, like a ten thousand uh, dollar rifle set up on a bipod, just sitting on top of the display case counter. Wild where I mean you can walk up and and do whatever. Wow. I mean it was a 338 Lapua. Crazy. So So did you did you buy anything? I did not. You did not buy anything. I did okay. not. I looked. I'm like, "Oh my god. Like this <laughs> this is the kind of place where like people come in and it's like Yeah, uh going with my buddy this weekend, we're taking his time machine and we're going to go hunt woolly mammoths. Like what do you, what do you have? <laughs> damn oh man like i was i was honestly gonna bring this up i was gonna bring up gordian sons nice on this but you did you beat me through it so i'm uh, gonna have to check it out i mean it's it's cool yeah it's cool
1: i plan to make a trip to el campo to visit a taxidermist and so maybe i will buzz through there and check out gordian sons um because i you know i have enough friends with the sitka waiters they are all believers in them i've got friends with three different pairs they've got every color and they all love wow, them wow
0: they're bougie right. i know right bougie
1: i know i mean and i'm like here i am with a pair of frog togs that i'm bumping on season 2 dude i've got season 3 i've got a pair long... of
0: magellan stocking yeah. foot fishing waders yeah
1: they just sprung a
0: leak 2 weeks ago i had some uh I had some game winner insulated neoprene ones mm-hmm. and uh you know they they did fine until one hunt I went. It was like forty degrees that morning, so it was a little cold. Mm-hmm. And by the time we were leaving, it was like in the mid sixties, and uh, it, was, it was it was I was sweating. I, I took them off and just dragged them behind me. Damn! And I was like never again, mm. never again.
1: Well, I don't. I'm not a fan of neoprene waders. Believe it or not. Yeah, they're know. they're. They're too thick. They for are me.
0: very thick. Uh And my thing is, is I don't, I don't like a shoulder strap, mm-hmm. especially a thick neoprene one on my right shoulder.
1: See, I take mine off.
0: Yeah, so I'd get there and I'd just take it off. Yeah, I'd, I'd tuck it in. Yep. And that way I could shoulder my shotgun for sure. And that way it wasn't, it, I wasn't hitting the, the waiters and trying to get it yeah. dug in there, trying to make a shot. I mean. Yeah. Well, And my, my deal is
1: I have a size, well, it depends on what waiter, 13 or 14. And so like the waders that I have right now, the frog talks. it's like their brush guard series or something. So it's a real, real thin layer with an exterior layer. That's like a, I don't even know what, what the material is, but it's supposed to deflect brush and stuff that you're walking through. But it looks like, you know, I'm wearing Santa Claus's waders because you know, I'm, I'm a thin dude, but I have to get a big waiter. From my feet, right, you know, right. So somebody took a video of me last weekend. We <laughs> <laughs> we rained out a bunch of pintail on Sunday, and I'm standing out. And I never have like a a couple of my buddies are really good about taking pictures, you know, like in the act in the in the in the moment,
0: right. And you, the, you, you look I like you're wearing those like a lot. <laughs> you, you look know? like you're wearing waiters that you can fit a couple of oh, other people yeah. in there. The,
1: like they have this awesome video. And so I just, so my dog goes out, he marks, we, I think we killed like those, are, there was seven of us hunting. We get a big group of pintail and I think we mop up like five bull sprigs out of them. Oh man. Stuff's raining everywhere. We're hunting sheet water. Dog could run a million miles an hour. So the dog marks, marks his first bird, send him out. I step out of the blind to intercept him with the bird, grab the bird, run him on a, on a blind on the second one. And so at, at this point I'm standing there like picture perfect. I'm holding two bull sprigs, completely oblivious at anybody's video. And, you know, and he's – he, I'm so, uh third bird, I'm sending him on a blind. And so, like, in the video, I'm running the blind. He's running it. You know, I'm giving him an override or whatever. And bird's at probably 80 yards, 90 yards. But, you know, in the video, it's such a perfect video. But then they start making fun of me about how saggy my waders are. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, whose waders did you steal, you know? Right,
0: or- there you go. So, uh if – you go hunting with Keen and you forget your waiters. That's right. I can fit w- you in there. Worry not. He, he's got room. Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> or you in there like a kangaroo. Right. Yeah. But um, I don't know. You know, I guess back to what you talked about, like do's and don'ts or like necessities for duck hunting. I know you asked from a customer standpoint. I think we kind of covered those, those bases for the most right. part. So you know?
0: if you're going on a guided hunt, they will provide you everything but a... Shotgun, shells, and a hunting license. That's right. And before I started guiding, you know, like. And and waiters, of course. Yeah. Whatever else you decide to wear. But, like,
1: I think the the big deal is what a lot of guides get is, um, can I bring my dog? Right. You know, a lot of people want to know, can I bring my dog? I think from a guide standpoint, some guys don't mind. Some guys don't have dogs. Some guys are like, Yeah, it, you know, if you if your dog if you bring your dog, you're responsible for picking up the birds. And I always felt like like when I heard that, I'm like, Man, that's that's the like how could somebody say that? Like people are paying money and you're gonna tell these people that if they you know, if you bring your dog and it doesn't pick up a bird, you're gonna walk out there and pick it up. I'm not leaving the blind.
0: And I thought, man. Right. But is, is he leaving his dog at home?
1: Well, and see, and now that I have a dog and I have to walk past that dog to go get in the truck and he knows what's going on at four o'clock in the morning when I'm walking out with a shotgun and camouflage, he is crushed if he doesn't get to go, <laughs> you know, so it's heartbreaking.
0: Sit around the house and pout all day.
1: <laughs> exactly. And I'm not, I'm not trying to brag on my dog. He's got a lot of room for improvement in different areas, but I know what he'll do. And I'm not, I don't have to leave the blind. And if I have to step out of the blind, I'm running him on a blind just so he can see me and see my hand signals and see where I'm going, you know, just so he's not getting confused with the people I'm standing next to. So it is very, you know, from a, from a customer standpoint, like if you're going to offer to bring your dog or you want to bring your dog, make sure you have control of your dog. Make sure your dog is not breaking. Make sure your dog is not leaving the blind and jeopardizing his safety you know because i mean that's a that's a huge deal where we're at i don't i don't you know we don't like we have to have serious control of our dogs especially with all the alligators and stuff that we have to deal with
0: um yeah yeah that's a it's a dangerous environment 100 percent. i mean for a dog and for a person as well well and you know
1: the the guy that trained my dog or whatever like we can I could bring them out in the dry field. I could bring them out in sheet water or rice field. And I could do all the fancy 150, 200-yard blinds, know, really cool stuff. And like where we hunt, I'm not doing it. I'm not sending my, my dog 100, 150 yards because I can't get to him if something happens. Right, right. And you, thinking, can't, you can't see. That's right. I think we kind of touched on this on the, on the first episode that I was on, but I, I really stress that. Um, it's a big deal control right know, be able to control right, your dogs and, and from a guide standpoint i hunt with a lot of other guides and it can make it like it, we we run a lot of hunts with two dogs you know because every guide most guides that i know have a dog and nobody wants to leave their dog at home so if we're going to run a bigger group or um a fun hunt or something most of the time we want to run two dogs if you have two dogs that will honor each other it's a very enjoyable hunt you kill one bird you know, one dog gets to go make the retrieve, and next then, dog gets to make the retrieve. Right, right,
0: on the next one, but yeah. But
1: there's nothing more miserable than having a dog that will honor and having a dog that will, like, no obedience at all. As soon as a gun goes off, it's 50 yards out, you know, 15 feet in front of the blind and just chasing anything. It can just make a hunt extremely miserable. Right. And so some of the clients that I hunt with, um, there's a couple. There was one that I hunted with last year that – That was, um, had an older lab, very good lab, but she is on, she is at the end of her career, you know? And so three or four retrieves in pretty sloppy marsh and she's done. She doesn't want to leave the the dog platform. And so, you know, he started asking me, well, why don't you bring your dog? You hunt your dog and, you know, on the other side of the blind, and then you could send your dog on the far stuff. And it works out great because his dog, you know, like I said, after a few retrieves, she's tired. Right. And he just, and, and from his side. He spent his, you know, the whole dog's life hunting, and he wants to make sure that, you know, she gets to go when he gets to go, and I, I understand that. So we're very understanding when it comes to that. But
0: uh, I got you now. Uh, shotguns. What Ooh. do you, what do you recommend?
1: I have done a one eighty in my standpoint on this over the last since well since January or maybe February. Like I started out with an eight seventy. You know,
0: right. When I was tried and true, reliable, just go wrong. Simple pump shotgun.
1: But I'm I'm very hard on stuff. And so when I was I think when I was maybe I was twelve or thirteen, I got my first twelve gauge eight seventy. And that was the gun that I really started duck hunting with. And, you know, it made it for years and years. And I can it got so bad at one point that I can remember shoot one shot i'd have to slam it down to get it to eject oh, man. you know it was just and, and and nothing against the gun i tortured it you know i mean it was rusty and all this other stuff um but i'll never forget so well i guess let me back up so then for christmas maybe when i turn let's just say 16 or 17 my mom bought me a winchester sxp which is like winchester's version of a nova it's their yeah. I, camo. I, I had one, so I loved
0: it. I, I, how old are you? 29.
1: Twenty nine. Twenty. Think about that.
0: Twenty nine. Okay, yep. so yeah, I'm I'm thirty. So I I bought one when I was eighteen or nineteen. So probably probably around the the same gotcha. same time period. Yep. I, I I bought one. It was good, and then it got to where it the bolt wouldn't lock. So I would rack it Mm -hmm. and then without pressing release, I can push the slide back. Oh, wow. So I did, I did send it to Winchester and they did make right on it. They fixed it. They sent it back to me. Gotcha. But, uh, well, if it makes you feel any better,
1: I never got to find out how good of a gun this was. I think I shot it a handful of times. So maybe, they got it for me for Christmas, I think. So okay. coming up at the close to the end of duck season, maybe had a month left. I might have got a hunter, too. At the time, I wasn't hunting a ton. Um, so spring turkey season rolls around. My best friend has a um, lease in West Texas. And so we're like, man, let's get the boys together. Let's load up and head out west. You know, and like he was like he was a little his family was a little better off than mine. Dude had a beautiful King Ranch 6 10-inch lift 37s 22-inch tires. We were the shit, you know. <laughs> we're making a big road trip to West Texas, no supervision, you know, maybe like I said, 16, 17 years old.
0: Yeah, just going out on a turkey oh, hunt. Oh yeah,
1: 3,000 acres to ourselves with five, you know, five of our buddies. Jeez. We don't know the first damn thing about turkey hunting, but we are going to find out. Right. So, like any rookie would do, we whip into the old Bass Pro Shops in Katy, uh, Texas, and we walk into the Bass Pro Shops. I don't even remember what we were buying or if we were even buying anything. Um, and again, I'll reiterate, there was there was like, I think there was five of us. So everybody had a shotgun. Everybody had, you know, I think maybe one guy had a pistol. At the time, every camouflage item that I owned that wasn't extremely warm, because again, we're talking about spring turkey season. Um, we spend maybe... 25, 30 minutes in Bass Pro Shops and we walk out and there is no 6-0 King Ranch. And so we walk around the parking lot. No, we're sure we parked it right here. So we call 911. They send Paul Blart, the mall cop out. Oh my God. And she is very argumentative, I guess I will say. I guess because we were younger. Um, and she was convinced that in you know in, in Katie, there's two ways to get into Bass Pro Shops, apparently. You could walk through the mall or you could come in from the exterior of, of the building or whatever into Bass Pro Shops. And so she was convinced that we parked on the other side, walked through the mall, and we just didn't remember where we parked our truck around. So <laughs>
0: No, like, this this is the only place we were going. Like, look, so lady, we parked I walked right in here. under the
1: Bass Pro Shop logo from the outside. I know where we went. So we spend probably 20 or 30 minutes, you know, fighting her on that. And uh finally the cops show up. Then the cop, like, nonchalantly is like, oh, yeah, man, like, there's been, like, six F-250s stolen out of the Katie Mills area in the last two months. And you know, I'm like, oh, okay, my God. man,
0: like, seriously? You know, like, so anyways. So they they found it well uh, you know they found it yeah, along the border or they did, they in, did. in Mexico months, stripped down
1: months later months stripped later stripped
0: down nothing yeah. left It took
1: them I think it was 22 seconds or something to pop the lock. So he run like you see a, it was a black Cadillac Escalade pull up take a screwdriver punch the lock get in hotwire the truck takes off like Gone. he owns it. You know and so I remember I remember they got I remember they got the call and it was somewhere down close in between Houston and South Texas I don't know that it was quite to the border but they basically just started moving south they had taken everything out of that truck obviously with it being a king ranch like the seats oh, were geez. nice brown leather they sat on an egg crate and drove it down and dumped it off the side of the highway they had all, you know some Maypop tires obviously it was just little itty bitty spares they had scrapped everything so I never got the call On that gun. I don't know. It's probably cruising around Mexico right now with a cartel or something. Yeah. God dang. I don't know, man. But um, I guess in saying that, my replacement for that gun, um, insurance paid my buddy. And my buddy had somebody pick us up, and we keep going. Like Really? Oh, dude. Really? Yeah. You're not stopping (laughs) You're not stopping this oh, vibe we going on. Oh,
0: I forget, how bad can it be? You're two hours away from home. <laughs> oh, 100%. But we're going to go it, the other it, six. <laughs> right. At Katie Mills, like. That's right. So Don't have
1: anything. Yeah. So we get to his ranch and in, like instead of waiting on insurance, he had his, I guess it was his dad or his uncle, somebody went to the local gun shop and bought five guns, whatever they had. And this is injunction. So, I, thought, I don't, the gun shop's not real big, so he just bought whatever they had. Right, right. And so, the gun that I ended up getting was a Stoger 3500 or 3000, uh, okay. right? So, their version of the... It, it basically looks like a Benelli Black Eagle,
0: you know? Right. And I think
1: it's a sister company or whatever. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, man. Because, uh, like, my my first automatic I got was a Super Black Eagle too. Okay. So you went straight to the good stuff. So, yeah, because I, I hear people uh, with with Franchi's now, and they really like them. Mm-hmm. They're really good, all that. But, I mean, this was like 10 years ago. Like, nobody sold Franchi. Nobody knew what it was. Yeah. All that. I mean, it was either, you know, you could get like a Stoger. For sure. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, around that time, Remington had the Versamax. So, but man, those that thing's heavy. Yeah, that Versamax. Clun- is yeah. super heavy. It's
1: clunky, but you know, so the so the Stoger was my replacement gun, and so we killed turkeys. By the way, in case you were wondering, we that, figured it out. There you go. There the you dumbest go. Dumbest turkeys in Texas. <laughs> Poor suckers. <laughs> man. We didn't. We probably sounded like crap, but we made it happen. I think we, we had a box call or something. I don't know. We, we made it work, but, um, it's, you know, kind of weird deal. I had that stoger through turkey season. And then before duck season started, when my grandfather was still alive, I went to his house and his brother had passed away recently. And <clears throat> he, uh, we're talking and I was telling him, you know, we're, we're sharing hunting stories and stuff. And he said, well, you know, your, your great uncle passed away. I inherited a lot of his guns. Then one day, you know, you know, one day you're going to get some of these guns. And so he said, I've got a bunch of stuff that's new and I don't even know what it is. You know, my, my grandpa was an old duck hunter, you know, he really really wasn't a thing to him. Right. And so he brings me in the room and he pulls out a gray Benelli box He's like, I have no idea what this is, but I'm, you know, your uncle. I remember your uncle telling me he bought a a Benelli, and so he opens the box up and it's a Super Black Eagle, and I'm like, you yeah, know, of course at the time that's like, I'm like, dude, that is, that's nice. He said, yeah, like,
0: yeah, that's that's you know, the cream of the crop. Oh
1: yeah, hundred percent. And he was like, do you want it? I'm like, well, yes. <laughs> you know, he's like, well, you you can't tell. He was he was very big about being fair. You know, to I had three, bro- I had two other brothers. I've got cousins, and and they're all uh, girls and, and no, I was long story short. I'm the only waterfowl hunter in the family, you know? And so he was like, uh, as long as you don't tell your cousins that I gave you this gun, you can leave with it today. And so I hunted with that gun. And obviously it's sitting right here in the corner. You can see it. Um, I've hunted with that gun for, I don't know, over 10 years, close to 15 years. And it's a 12 gauge black Eagle. And it is, uh, I wish I would have taken better care of it because it was a gift from my grandfather. But I can tell you that thing has been torture tested. It has a Carlson's extended full choke that is welded in the (laughs) barrel, and there's not a gunsmith in Texas that can get it out without cutting that barrel
0: off. Oh man, we we can we can give it a little TLC though. Oh man, I don't know.
1: Honestly, it's one of those deals. If it's not broke, don't fix it. You know. And I shoot that gun so well, I always have. I just grown up with that gun it's like an extension of my arm right right but i
0: mean yeah, the uh the issues that you said you're having with it now we can uh we can definitely address that for and, sure uh, for sure and but when get I, it get it back to no, I, I'm, I'm gonna
1: take you up on that because it is uh like i said last i don't know maybe three weeks ago um that safety started free floating right you know and so i you can say the stock, yeah the twisting. stocks a little I, I can fix a stock but that safety free-floating scares me because, I mean, it's so bad where you could flip the gun over and gravity will push it off safety, right? So, I don't know. It scares me.
0: Yeah. So, that, I mean, it's there's probably a D10 or something in there. For sure. You For know, sure. A little spring and a D10. It's just worn out, yep. whatever. I uh, just have to look into it, yep. see, see what parts are available.
1: Well, when I said I did a complete 180 in my stance on this, um, I started shooting a... 20 gauge in february and a bunch of my buddies went in and bought it for me i think you were actually part of that crew. i was was. so it's a benelli m2 and it is such a fine gun and it's you know you guys they got it for those of you that don't know they got it seracoted um it's got um it's it's just it's beautiful man it's got my son's initials on it Um, my son passed away in january And so these guys went in and bought me, uh, this gun to remember him, you know, and and it's got his initials in it and it's it's just fine. And so obviously it's sentimental. And so I started really trying to shoot it on, on hunts where I could control the elements. I don't want to bring it out in the rain. I don't want to bring it out in the salt marsh, but if I'm hunting a blind or something, um, I started only hunting it like, like, like this, like, right. When I'm in a blind and, and, and I know that I'm not going to drag it through mud or I'm not going to get rained on, but I got so addicted to shooting that 20 gauge because even though it's a little less powder and a little less punch, it is a deadly gun.
0: See, I've, I've heard people on, you know, they shoot 20 gauge. I've shot 12 gauge. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing. Like. You know, like if if you're gonna <clears throat> waterfowl hunt, like for just, sure, and and
1: that was my my logic. It was a rite of passage. You know, when we were kids, I, I mean, I shot a twenty gauge when I was
0: nine, ten, eleven. Right. You know, dove I, I've, started dove I mean, I've by got, myself. I've got my uh my youth model eight seventy mm-hmm. in twenty gauge. Got you. So yeah, and then like it was always like oh yeah get a little bit bigger. That's right. You, when you're a man, you get a little bit bigger, yeah. you can
1: shoot the 12 gauge. When you're a man, you could run that 12 gauge. And so it it was weird
0: to step back down to a 20, but I um, mean, it's light. You can sling that thing around man, and just it is such a boom, comfortable boom, boom. gun.
1: And I
0: really I I feel like I've got to a point
1: now where I shoot just as good with that 20 as I do with my 12. I feel like I I'm comfortable with it. Um and then to take it a step further, um, I've got two friends that will give me a run for my money and beat me on a lot of days with a 28-gauge, you know. And I'm watching them shoot these little itty-bitty shells. I'm like, there so ain't the, no the, way. The
0: 28-gauge, the guy that wanted to go to Gordian Sons yeah. for the uh, for the Sitka Waiters, they didn't have what he wanted. So instead he bought a Benelli 28-gauge.
1: Oh, nice! See, I need that kind of money. Like you just impulse, like
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, y- y'all don't have this. Like, yeah, I'll buy this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, we did that. Or right, yeah, he got that, and then the next day we went out to his place, and we're shooting skeet. And he had like some two and three quarter twenty eight gauge, and he had some three inch twenty eight gauge. And those three inch twenty eight gauge pack a punch. Mm-hmm. I mean that like I was not expecting that. Yeah. Like I yeah. thought, it was just going to be a little light shooting. I mean, no, dude, that thing just boom yeah. flung that bolt back and just yeah. I, I mean, you ha- you have to be a, you have to be a little tighter with your.
1: There's not as much uh, leniency with right. your shot, but like I said, I've got two buddies and they'll listen to this at one point or another, and I will bow down and let them know that there is a good chance they'll outshoot me with a twenty or twelve with those twenty-eight gauges. I mean, it's very very see, impressive
0: during COVID. You go to Academy and like the only thing on the shelf there for a while, it was just like steel shot Mm -hmm. and 28 gauge. And then somebody, you know, got smart, bought all the steel shot. Yeah. I'd see the same, like the Kent teal steels that are like 16 bucks a box. Went to the Pasadena gun show. They were $45 a box. Man. I mean, this was like peak COVID. And like, then all that was on the shelf was 28 gauge. This is the first season and probably five years that I've had to buy shotgun shells. Oh yeah. I've, a, I've got a pile oh, of them.
1: I I had a buddy text me about, and I'm going to regret saying this and if they ever do it again, but I had a buddy text me and say, you need to go to Walmart and look at what they have their shells priced at. And this was way back in the day, you know, like, like I said, five years ago before all the ammo crisis and everything. But, they had three-inch, it was Winchester dry locks, three-inch four shot for $3 a box.
0: $3 a box?
1: $3 a box. Unheard of. Yeah, so. Three-and-a-half-inch double BB for $4 a box. And my wife was so mad because <laughs> I made her push a basket, and I pushed a basket. And I'm in mean like right behind where you're sitting now in that closet. I had a mound of ammunition. And then it just got to be, it got out of control. Like once we start started getting into this ammo crisis, I had told a few buddies about it. I had people like calling me like, man, please let me buy ammo. Let me get some ammo. And i was just like, look, you're my friend. You're not buying ammo. I bought it for $3 a box. I'm losing six bucks. Okay. If I give you a couple boxes, boxes, I was putting ammo in my mailbox, you know, and
0: buddies. Yeah. By yeah. And picking so it up. I did that when, when they, uh, when they decided like, oh, we're not going to sell handgun ammunition anymore. Yeah. I went there like, Oh, we marked all of this stuff down. Like nine millimeter was 15 cents around. Wild. 15 cents around. And I'm like, Hey man, like how much that y'all have? And like, Oh, we got, you know, like nine boxes of a hundred and I'm like, all right, I'll take it. And they're like, how much do you want? I'm like all of it. <laughs> like, are, are you stupid? Like, yeah, It's 15 cents a round. Like, yes, mm-hmm. I will take it. Uh, one of the last things I bought from there, that was the last time I saw it, and I saw the same thing at Academy today. So I bought the Winchester White Box. Okay. 500 round pack. I paid 75 bucks for it. Really? Saw the same thing at Academy. $179. Oh, my God. Today. One hundred seventy-nine dollars. I paid seventy-five dollars for that.
1: That's wild, man.
0: Yeah, I was. What like What a time to be alive! Absolutely. So, like, in this whole ordeal, I've got like four or five thousand rounds of nine millimeter from yeah, it.
1: Good. So well, I know where I'm going. If we get a uh, hit with a zombie apocalypse, I'm coming to hang out with you.
0: Bring a nine millimeter. <laughs> I've got
1: a nine millimeter, but I don't know. I'm kind of I'm looking around. I see one box. Oh man! Not much but uh
0: um, but yeah so like when i first got into duck hunting my dad gave me a bunch of his still shot because yeah. he he didn't he was out of it hadn't hunted in forever he, like here's my decoys all this you know just gave me all of his stuff you know uh hit some hip waders mm-hmm. they, they were dry rotted there was no saving those but uh i was looking and You know, so steel shot was like seasonal. So they'd get it in and they'd sell it during the season and the off season, they just put it on clearance. Yeah. I mean, there was boxes with little price tags on it, you know, three bucks, five bucks, all this. He gave me a box of federal steel shot. It was T shot.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. That was a thing back in the day.
0: Yeah. Like it, like you go snow goose hunting. Yeah it will put a hurting on us, no guess.
1: That's back when, like, all the old-timers are like, I don't know why y'all make goose hunting so hard. We just threw out 15 Walmart sacks. I'm like, okay, dude, you can't do that anymore (laughs) because Tony Vandemore at Habitat Flats is running (laughs) 35,000 full bodies. (laughs) They've seen everything from...
0: Yeah, right, from Saskatchewan to here. So, I mean, like...
1: The smartest bird that we have down here sometimes feels like it's a... I mean, I, I think... I I think a lot will agree, but a snow goose, man, I've got full
0: bodies. Yeah, I mean, cause you you go out in the marsh and you'd hear some geese coming, like, all right, cool. Like once they see water, yeah. they either take to the sky, yeah, or they will just skirt. Yeah. No, I mean, it, I it, don't know. I've, it goes in.
1: It goes in phases. I, I I got a. I was addicted to buying decoys, you know, there for a while, and I bought. I think I I'm probably up to about eight dozen full bodies and I'd be willing to bet that all of there's some of them that have never left my garage, you know, and I was just, I love to look at them. They're pretty. I'm like, man, one day I'm going to find the right spot. And go but, throw these things yeah. out and oh, yeah. just but, I mean, have a, a good old time. The older I get, I'm like, I'm not running traffic on them. I'm like I need to know, I want to know they're here today and I'm going there tomorrow. You know, um, it's a smart bird though. I don't know. I mean we we've, we've actually we've killed a decent amount this year for what I typically shoot.
0: Right. Um, I I feel like they're they're not as present as they used to be.
1: No. And and I, my bucket list bird I because mean, you used ki-
0: to you could hear you could hear them hollering all night. All the time. All yeah. day, all yeah. night. I mean like Dude
1: in two thousand twelve when I graduated high school, they just it was the I'm sorry. It was not my graduating year. It's like two thousand ten. They built this brand new high school in Sour Lake, Texas. And it was a really foggy day. And we're sitting out in the parking lot. It's like 7 o'clock. I think we had to go in at 8 or maybe it was 7.30, whatever. We're sitting there and we're listening to snow geese fly over. It's extremely foggy. And all of a sudden, these snow geese are like super low. And I'm talking about like (laughs) I could have hit them with a decent-sized baseball bat low. And it was a group of like maybe half a dozen. Every one of them flew into the side of the school and broke their wings and everything. We're running out there, wringing their necks, you know, like they were. And the principal and everybody wasn't really happy about that. But like, <laughs> checking for bands, you know, like <laughs> bunch of little redneck kids. Oh uh, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't see them. We don't see them like that
0: anymore. Right. I mean, used to they. I mean, like you would just see hundreds of them just flying over. Yeah. Every like, every I, single I night. Live I grew up outside of Winnie. Yeah. You know, my grandparents had, you know, <clears throat> half 50 acres. I grew up out there. So, I mean, I would just remember just hear him hollering. Like my grandfather said when he was a kid growing up out there, he'd be, yeah. you know, in a little breezeway just, you know, picking a goose. Yeah. And would hear him fly over and he'd grab his shotgun and he'd step out and just boom, shoot one. <laughs> grab it and go back and just yeah. wait for more to come by. Yep. Like it, it's, it's nuts. So did you get
1: any of your grandfather's hand-me-downs from hunting at all? Did you get anything that's like sentimental to you or?
0: Uh, no. So, so my, my grandfather, uh, on, on my mom's side, he he's still living, Ah, but, right. uh, like, um, my, my dad's dad, he, I mean, he, he died when I was little, but, uh, my dad got his, uh, his Browning Belgium made auto five. It's pretty slick. Yeah. I mean, and he, he never shot it up until maybe a year or two ago. Cause that, that was my first 12 gauge. Nice. He, we, uh, we went to Houston to a gun show and he carried, he had a over under Browning Satori and we get there, you know, we made the drive from Lufkin to Houston. He's like, I'm going to go use the bathroom on his way out. Somebody asked him about it, sold it to him. Really? And then we walked around the show, didn't see nothing, went back. He said, let's go to the Lufkin show. Found a this uh this auto five on a rack. He bought it. Uh, the barrel was cut down, like it was like a twenty one inch barrel. Mm-hmm. Somebody had cut down, and yeah, that's that's how I learned to gotcha. shoot a twelve gauge. On, I mean,
1: I mean, the reason I ask is like like my grandfather was a he was a big duck hunter. Like, and, and I mean, he was you know known for it around Port Arthur.
0: So yeah, like- I I have. That uh that gun, I bought a twenty eight inch barrel for it. It's uh. like I want to get a longer barrel. And so my dad was like, Hey, can I have he's like, What are you doing with that old barrel? I'm like, nothing. Like, do you want it? He's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So he put it on his dad's and we went and shot it. Nice. But uh I've got a Marlin 336 and 3030 that that was his dad's. Okay. So I've got that. Uh my, my grandfather on my mom's side, he, he gave me an M1 carbine oh, damn. that he, that somebody traded him for like a truck.
1: Oh my God. <laughs> that's wild. So what a time to be alive.
0: Right. Right. So I, I've got that and that's pretty cool. Like I've done some looking on that and, uh, it, I mean, it's a you know, World War II gun. It was like a 1943. Damn and so it's the same year as my m1 Grand. that's a 1943 as well so i, I kind of got on a, on a military surplus kick there for a little while yeah
1: i remember that i remember that i remember you telling me about that so
0: uh, yeah i've got i've got those but uh yeah as far as as far as like duck hunting like it was, it was my it was my dad i just i'd got yeah. his stuff uh
1: I think everybody needs something somewhat sentimental, you know, and I wish, you know, I don't know, if for some reason you're younger listening to this right now, if you get something passed down to you, it doesn't matter. Like for me, for instance, one of the things that I will always regret, um, when my grandpa passed away, they were cleaning out the garage and I was young. I think it was it was before I started driving. And I remember my mom saying, you know, there's a bag of duck decoys, and you know he would want you to have those. And at the time, it was like, okay, these are duck decoys. Like, I'm going to, I have duck decoys. And I got them, no idea where they are. You know, and it was old vintage, you know, duck decoys right, from right. the 50s or whatever, you know, when he when he hunted. And so I couldn't tell you where they are, but I'd, I'd give a limb right now to have every bit of them, you know, Absolutely. just to stare at them, you know. Right. Um, and And before he passed away, um, he always talked about uh, Jensen duck calls, you know, which is which is owned by SureShot uh, or is SureShot Game Calls now, right? So, right. Um, I guess at, at that point in time, he, they were making a, a push. And they were there was a lot of those Jensen uh, double reads. Uh, I don't know what the the model is or whatever, but they're really really popular. One they've been around forever, and so I remember I bought one of those calls. And I brought it over to him and we, you know, he would blow the call. We were just, you know, he thought it was the coolest thing. He hadn't seen one. He didn't even know they were still in business. Um, But that at that time he like goes to his room and he brings out a band from a Pentel Drake that he killed. And at the time, like, I don't think, I think bands were cool, but like he had this thing flattened out, put on a key ring, had a hole drilled in it, you know, it was made out of, it felt like it was like out of aluminum. Like I could break it in half, you know, and Thankfully, I kept that kept up with that band. And so actually last Sunday, um, you know, I've been hunting for a, a decent amount of time. Um, and I've always, I've been hunting a, like a stud bull sprig that I know for a fact I shot that, you know, hunting with clients. I'm not going to claim a bird. Um, you know, most of the time a client shoots it or whatever, you know. But I finally got my hands on a stud bull sprig. Which is what that band was from, banded in Saskatchewan he killed in the sixties. And so um, it's going that band is finally going on on that bull's going could get mounted on the wall um here shortly. Nice, nice. So, pretty excited about that.
0: Oh man, but yeah, like uh as far as like sure shot, man, like everybody knows that. I mean, from they started in Yeah. Little Groves, That's right. Texas. Yeah.
1: Which and, my grandfather was from Port Arthur. So like right <clears throat> right down the road, and right, that was the people. Course. Like they pioneered the uh the, the duck call in general. But I, I think they were like and don't quote me on this, but I think they were one of the first or maybe the first
0: with a double reed duck call. I I, th- I think they I think they were. Yeah. I mean like the, the two guys that came up with the Yensen you know, with the Jensen call started Sure Shot. That's right. And so I, I mean I was on I was thumbing through Facebook one day and somebody posted on there like, I want a wooden double read call. You know, what do you got? And, I mean, so many people saying, Jensen, Jensen, get a Jensen, get a Jensen.
1: It's hard to beat, man.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, these guys are like not from Texas. I mean, like up in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Jensen from SureShot. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. Yeah,
1: and we got to grow up right down the road from them, right.
0: And you know? and now, I mean, uh, I mean, they're still in business. I mean, they're doing, yeah, they're doing damn good. Yeah,
1: they're making a really good push. Um, yeah,
0: you've uh, you've been to their new shop on man, Calder I, and Beaumont.
1: ashamed to admit it, I live ten minutes from there, and I have not
0: been. You should go check out. I'm the gonna place. go.
1: I'm gonna go. It's kind of one of those deals. I know that if I go, I'm gonna I am going to spend some money, and so I need to be <clears> a little <throat> prepared. Um, so
0: they carry boss shells mm-hmm.
1: that's what i've been told and i've been like, shooting some boss shells and
0: uh, they're like the only people to yeah to have them on the shelf yeah
1: And that's very convenient especially in in today's uh, time man you can't find shells like go to academy right now you're not finding you're not finding steel shot no you know
0: no so uh who else? Uh, what else? Uh, they oh, like Duck Camp. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's Duck Camp.
1: I th- I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, and they Berlabo or burlebo or however you say it. I think they're dealing with them a little bit, maybe.
0: Yeah, I, I, at the time they they had Duck Camp. They had their own stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then they've got their calls. Uh, apparently they bought Redbone. I heard that, and I'm
1: in the market for a solid specklebellic call,
0: man go up there you want to go talk like it's uh Clint and Andrew mm-hmm. they work up there they're super cool
1: well I, I got to i ran into uh to Jay Bruce at a uh, little convention maybe about a month ago okay and so the last time we were on i was on this podcast i kind of got to talk about my my run-in with Jay Bruce when i was younger taking him predator hunting You know, and and I don't know if you recall, but I was, uh, might've been a few beverages involved. I got to shoot a coyote and embarrass myself, but I hit the coyote, man. That's, that's the (laughs) biggest part, you know? Uh, But anyway, so I I got to run into him and I said, look, I said, I know you're not going to remember me. I said, but we were out at so-and-so's property and I said, we went predator hunting and he cut me off. He said, and you shot the coyote. And I was like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm sorry. He said, "In the coyote grabbed the, the predator call." I was like, "That's me. <laughs> I'm that guy." So we had a good conversation. So I need to run over there and uh, definitely look into. Like I'm very yeah, interested in a red bone for sure, man. Like, <clears throat> it,
0: it's it's a pretty cool little setup they got there. I, yeah, you know we we went there to to get some stuff for the uh, for the giveaway. I've been there since then. Uh, you know, they, I mean. It, it, super chill place I mean it's yeah. it's small but uh it's it's pretty cool man yeah. I uh well I think they've proven that you don't have to be as big
1: as bass Pro shops to sell a quality product you know and I mean they've
0: no I, I went there on like a Monday yeah and there was a pile of boxes yep by the door and like the, they're like yeah man all the orders are done like yeah Jesus yep
1: well and, and honestly I think while we're talking about calls I think that kind of ties back into what, as a as a customer, you should show up with with your guide, and unless you are just a professional caller, or you re- like you really want to hear yourself call, you don't need to bring calls. You know, I mean, in Southeast Texas, we are not we're not hunting the flooded timber all Arkansas. You know, we're not at a calling competition. I do 80% of my finishing birds with a gadwall call, which is a, man, you know, like, right. Very, right. Very, very quiet. Right.
0: Just a real subtle, just,
1: yep. Maybe a teal call here and there. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me wrong. I will blow a mallard call to get something to the tension or to prevent something from short stopping me or landing farther out or whatever or whistle. Um, I'll never forget one. Some advice I got when I was getting into it is you can hunt everywhere in Texas with a whistle. And I believe to this day, it's true. I don't want to do it. I want a mallard call. Everybody wants to blow a mallard call, you know,
0: but yeah, right. I mean, that, that's just something like, Hey, like there's some way out there. Just like give, give them, give him a little bit of that mallard call. Yeah. See what they do. Well, there's, and there's
1: nothing more uncomfortable from a guide standpoint than to have a client who is convinced that he's Phil Robertson sitting at the other end of the blind with this god awful rabbit in distress, you know, and <laughs> fox call, you know. At the end of the day, it's his hunt. He paid for this hunt. If you want to call it those birds and you want to do that,
0: that's on you. See, like I, I'll, I'll bring my calls, yeah. but like,
1: well, I've heard you call. You're not
0: bad. So, see, like, yeah, I was like, I, I feel like <laughs> it's I, a little I, different. I, I know what but, I'm doing. Uh... I think at the end of the day,
1: I think there's a misconception where people see these videos. You know, in arkansas and this and that everybody in the blind is you know
0: just wailing dad, on it
1: wailing on it feed call all this and that like it sounds like a party and in my opinion down here where we're at where birds have seen everything from here to saskatchewan it doesn't work as good as people think right you know and um you know kind of to piggyback off the diy stuff you know, you hear all this stuff. Where,
0: yeah, that yeah. Do not overcall. No, like just make it real subtle. No,
1: you're not the only person in the marsh. Every, if, I mean, if you go sit in the marsh and listen, everybody's calling. Um, obviously, tip number, I guess number three, right? Tip number one being don't face the sun. Tip number two, bring some toilet paper. <laughs> tip number three, um, scout. Find out where they really want to be. I know some of this public marsh, they don't allow you to scout, um, but some of it does. Right. Some of the lakes do, wherever you're hunting at. if you Knowing where they want to be is more than half of the battle. Um, if you are on the X, per se, there's really nothing you can do wrong. You can put out three decoys and sit there and be quiet, and they're coming. I mean, that's where they want to be.
0: But, yeah, I mean, that that's... Was real good especially in like public marsh
1: yeah no 100 percent. i mean because
0: I, mean, I used to be like all right man like i got these two bags of decoys and all this yeah. and that and like
1: yeah no 100 and match the hatch man like match the hatch match what's what you're hunting and and i'm a believer in it like realism like i want to i want to make my spread look like what i'm hunting you know if it's 70 80 percent teal i know are going and, and going to where i'm hunting I am not going to throw out a bunch of big duck decoys, right? Right. I know it'll work. It'll it'll work, you know. But like, I mean, you look at you scout those birds and you watch what they're doing. Um, This late in the season, even like around Christmas, a lot of those birds are already paired up. You know, you really pay attention to what a flat looks like, and there'll be, you know, Gadwall in particular right now. I was I was scouting a flat the other day, actually around Christmas, and you know, it's drake and hen, ten feet away, drake and hen, ten feet away, drake and hen. You know, and, and if you get get it at the wrong angle, angle, it looks like a cluster of ducks. But when you really start paying attention, they are kind of segregated per se, and they're already already paired up. So when I'm throwing a decoy spread, I take that into consideration. Um, so, I don't know, something to think about.
0: I got you, yeah. Uh, no, there is a uh, mutual friend of ours that I've seen uh, really putting a hurting on the gray
1: ducks. There is. I know exactly who you're talking about. That's actually one of the guys that I was saying would probably outshoot me with that 28 gauge. He is, <laughs> he is, uh, I mean, that dude is mad at him. It's impressive. Um, but I honestly, that's one of the few people that I've, I've, um, not few people that I've enjoyed hunting with. That's not the right way to say it, but I really have enjoyed hunting with that guy. Um, he is a book of knowledge just on little things. You know, he definitely knows a whole lot more than me and he's a whole lot more mad. Adam than I am. I mean, a dude <laughs> that can wake up Monday through Sunday, every single day of duck season and, and chase some, whether, chase the like, ducks. It, yeah. Look, I got to have a little bit of positivity in my life. And if I'm wake, excuse me, if I'm waking up in the morning, I want to like, at least think that I'm going to go kill some. That dude is perfectly content with waking up, knowing damn good and well, there's not going to be a duck on that pond, but he's going to go watch that sunrise and maybe shoot a bird or two. Um, He's definitely, he's definitely mad at him. So I think he, he's got his hands full right now with a puppy. So he's getting ready to learn the, uh, the whole aspect of it. Um, uh, but I I think it's going to oh, be yeah, exciting. That, that is right. Yep. He's got one of Colton's puppies. Um, so he's got, he's got Rip's sister, same mama, different daddy, but I'm, I'm sure she's going to be all right. I think she's, she's got it. So, um, but so,
0: well, all right, man. I uh, I appreciate you. You know it, man. Coming back on the show.
1: You know it. I enjoyed it. I definitely did. I appreciate you having me, and uh, hopefully one of these days here in the maybe before season ends, we can share a duck blind together and shoot a bird or two. Uh, Hell yeah, I I would enjoy that. Yeah, I think uh, knock on wood, but it's continuing to get better, and it has been very very consistent. So
0: well, that's good.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. To, uh I'm gonna run pretty hard this weekend. uh really the next couple weeks you know I think for the first time uh all season my wife asked me the other day how much longer is duck season gonna last and I was like okay that's that's my cue like I know she's getting pretty tired of (laughs) me telling her no to steak nights on a Saturday and uh she's ready but right um I don't know it's there's one person who's not ready and it is that little four-legged lab in the room <laughs> next door, you know, next uh, door. Yeah. He, uh, he would do it until his little legs give out on him. So
0: for sure, man, for sure. But yep. man, we appreciate you coming on the show you know again. Know. Uh, we'll have to do this another time soon. Yeah. Let me know.
1: Let me, hopefully I don't have another alligator story, but yeah,
0: ho- hopefully not. <laughs> Oh, man. All
1: right. Well, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. All right, guys. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Big Texas Outdoors podcast. Uh, Remember, follow us on our socials. uh, Subscribe to our podcasts on our podcast platforms. Rate, review, subscribe, and notify on YouTube. Thanks, guys. Until next time, happy hunting.